Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, as we continue in a sermon series entitled Together, Together in God's Spirit. As we've been talking about through the weeks, God didn't save you and I to be lone rangers. He didn't save us to be roustabouts. He didn't save us to be hobos. He didn't save us to do our own thing. He saved us to be part of a team, part of a group, part of an assembly, part of a church, that we could come together at various times to worship Him, to serve Him, to give to Him, to witness for Him, and to fellowship with one another. Togetherness is what the Bible teaches. And today again, we're going to be looking at together in God's Spirit. John chapter 16, beginning with verse 7, the words of Jesus Himself as recorded by John, as He writes to those of His day, and to you and I today. Jesus speaking, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is beneficial, it is advantageous, it is for your own good, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you will see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world, the devil, is already judged. I have many things I wish I could say to you. But you cannot understand them right now. You cannot bear them. However, when the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you to this truth. He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear from Me. That's what He will speak. And He will show you of the things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore say, I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning and what he means to each of us individually and what he should mean to us collectively as a church. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. God is a trinity, is what the Bible teaches. He's one, but He's three. He's three, but He's one. There is only one God, but He manifests Himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor, that don't make any sense to me. My math tells me that 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3. Well, that's your math. That's human math. But God has His own math. And in God's mathematical economy, 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 1. You say, I can't figure that out. Good. 
because the just shall walk by faith. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. We're not to figure out God. We're just to accept it. And the Bible teaches us that one of those three persons that make up the Godhead is the third person of that Holy Trinity, and that's the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is like Dr. Pepper. He's misunderstood or he's forgotten by most Christians today. To those who misunderstand the Holy Spirit, what they have done is they have regulated Him. They have made Him into some type of strange, mystical, statical emotion or experience. Instead of being a person, they've made Him an it. They've turned Him into a power. They've turned Him into an energy. They've turned Him into a force. It's mystical. It's strange. It's ecstatic. They made the Holy Spirit like Steve Martin, a wild and crazy guy. Now, on the other side of that is to those who forget the Holy Spirit. They treat the Holy Spirit like a pituitary gland. You familiar with that? You're grateful that you got it, but you don't know what it does. And many people treat the Holy Spirit like that. They're grateful that He's out there, but they have no clue who He is. They have no clue what He does. And therefore, He's just forgotten. Now, whether you misunderstand the Holy Spirit or you forget the Holy Spirit, that's called extremism. And extremism in anything, especially biblical truth, is wrong and destructive. Let me repeat that again. Pay attention. Extremism, pushing God's word to the far left or pushing God's word to the far right. Whenever you do that with the truths taught in the Bible, and there are many who do, you are wrong and you are headed toward destruction. The best place to keep God's Word is in the middle of the scriptural river because the water is deep there. When you start getting the doctrines of the faith over on the edges, you're going to find yourself shipwrecked or sunk. And what we see so much is extremes. Let me talk a moment about our charismatic friends Because, see, they take the Holy Spirit to an extreme. They make the Holy Spirit the center of their worship. And they consume themselves with making sure that everything they do, He shows up and He shows off. Even if it means you've got to manufacture it in the flesh, you do it. And that's why you see so much craziness in the charismatic movement. Now, you Baptists out there are all smiling. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm about to pin your ears back now. Because we Baptists do just the opposite. We come together to worship, just like we're doing right now. And we don't even need the Holy Spirit. We can sing well enough without Him. I can preach well enough without Him. You can sit out there and stare up at me well enough without Him. We just dismiss him completely. 
We don't need his presence. We don't need his power. The truth of the matter is, if the Spirit of God didn't show up in 95% of the Baptist churches, nobody would ever know it. And the result is, while the charismatic movement, because of their excess of emphasis on the Holy Spirit, has craziness, the Baptists, on the other hand, have deadness. And remember, both of them are wrong. Both of them are destructive to the things of God. What we're going to do this morning is I'm going to spend some time emphasizing some truths to you from our text and other places about the Holy Spirit. Seven things that I want you to learn today about the Holy Spirit so you can stay in the middle, away from extremism, and you can understand why we need the Holy Spirit particularly in the final days of history as we await the coming of Jesus. Okay? So I'm going to give you seven things now. You listen carefully because I'll have to talk carefully to get them all in. All right? The first thing I want you to know is this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not was God not as becoming God, the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus made a remarkable statement. In John chapter 14, again in John 16 that we just read, Jesus said, I am preparing to go. I'm preparing to go back to the Father. When I go back to the Father, I am not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you without I'm not going to leave you homeless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another, another to come in my place. Now, that another is speaking of the comforter. It's speaking of the the helper. It's speaking of the paraclete, which is the Greek word. Jesus says, I'm going to send you another person to comfort you to help you, to be by you, to be with you, to be in you, to lead you. Now we know that that one he's speaking of is the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to listen to me. Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to send another comforter. Now that word another is an interesting word. This is what it means. It means to send someone to represent you and to replace you who is equal to you. Jesus said, I'm getting ready to go back to the Father, but when I go back to the Father, the Father is going to send one to you to represent me. He's going to send one to you to replace me, and this one that will be sent will be equal to me. He will be the same as me. And he's speaking of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is equal to God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit of God is eternal, just like God the Father and God the Son. And though they be the same, and they are. Though they be equal, and they are. Each person that makes up the Trinity has a different responsibility or role in regard to salvation, and in regard to worship. 
Okay? Remember, God is three persons, but He's one God. God the Father sent His Son. Then His Son went back to the Father. And Jesus says, when I go back to the Father, I'm going to send my Spirit. He will represent me. He will replace me, but He will be just like me. He will be God. Now, when it comes to redemption, let me give you the role of each of the Trinity including the Spirit of God. What do they do? When I'm talking about redemption, I'm talking about your salvation. The Bible teaches that God the Father planned our salvation. He was the mastermind behind the plan that would lead to our salvation. And God the Father unfolded that plan in the Old Testament. From Genesis to Malachi... The story is the unfolding plan of God's salvation for you and I. It's what it's all about. The plan of God being revealed and unfolded before our very eyes. A plan that was made before the foundations of the world. That salvation that God planned was free to us. But it would cost His Son. The second member of the Holy Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, would purchase that salvation. That's what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's all about, the four Gospels. The coming of Jesus into this world. Born of a virgin, lived a virtuous life, died a vicarious death, was buried, and victoriously came alive from the grave, and is visibly coming again. Jesus Christ purchased our salvation fully, freely, forever as the final Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. The Father planned it all. The Son purchased it with His blood and with His life. And then the Spirit of God now comes and joins the plan of salvation and the purchase of salvation And His work is revealed to us in the New Testament from the book of Acts to the book of Revelation. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit in regard to our salvation is He pursues us and He prompts us to give our life to Jesus. He pursues us and He prompts us to give our life to Jesus. If He did not pursue us, we would never come to Jesus. If He didn't prompt us, we would never give our life to Jesus. It's through His ministry to us that we have an opportunity to get saved. Do you understand that? The Father planned it, the Son purchased it, and the Spirit of God pursues us and prompts us to receive it. And I'm glad you said yes one day. And I'm glad I did. And if you haven't said yes, why not today? Now that's salvation. The Trinity working together to bring us into being sons and daughters of God. But then, what about worship? How does the Trinity come into us with worship right now, right here, right now? What's the Trinity trying to do? Well, listen, we worship Jesus. 
We don't worship the Holy Spirit. Are you listening to me? We don't worship even the Father. We worship the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. All praise, all honor, all glory to Him. But when we do that, the Father is pleased. That's my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And when you worship Him, you bring glory to the Father. You bring pleasure to the Father. But how can you and I, vessels of clay, worship Him? Because the Spirit of the living God gives us the motivation and the energy to do it. Without that motivation and energy, ladies and gentlemen, we could do nothing spiritually. It was a little nippy when I got up this morning. If I didn't have the Spirit of God in me, I'd have just pulled up the covers and stayed in bed. Don't you look at me strangely, so would have you. What gave us the motivation to come? What gives us the energy to come? What gives us the will and the do of what God wants us to do? It's the Spirit of God. So understand, the Holy Spirit is God. He's the same as the Father and the Son. He's equal to the Father and Son. He's eternal like the Father and Son, but yet He has a different role and responsibility in regard to salvation and worship. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. In verse 13, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you to all truth. Now, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And He leads us to the person of truth, who is Jesus Christ. How do, how do we get to the Father? Through the Son. There's only one mediator between God and man. There's only one connector between God and man. There's only one escort that can take man to God, and it's the God-man Christ Jesus. Would you agree with that? Well, who takes us to Jesus that Jesus can take us to the Father? The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit the spirit of truth, takes us to the person of truth, and Jesus is the person of truth because he said what in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. I'm a personification of the way, truth, and life. No man comes to the Father lest they come to Jesus. And no man comes to Jesus lest they come through the Spirit. Listen to me now very carefully. You don't get saved when you feel like it. You get saved when the Spirit of God comes to you, calls you by name, convicts you, and compels you to come to Jesus. It's the Spirit of God that gives us the opportunity and opens the door that whosoever will can give their life to Christ. Every person gets one opportunity. Some get many opportunities. But every single person ever born in this world will be given at least one opportunity to hear the call, to receive an invitation to come and give their life to Jesus. 
Admittedly, some will only get one, but they'll get one. Admittedly, it may not be the same for every person how that will work out. But every single person, the Spirit of God will bring to the person of God. The Spirit of truth will bring to the person of truth. And what they do with Him is their own choice. You know, it's a dangerous thing to be so arrogant as to say no to Jesus when He's calling you to salvation. Oh, you, you, you might get 50 more calls, who knows? Or you may not get another call at all. There's no guarantee you're going to get more than one, but you will get one. And the Spirit of God is the one who will call you he will come to you, He will convict you, and He will compel you to come to Christ. He doesn't violate what you want to do. He just simply gives you the encouragement to do it. What you do is your choice. And some of you need to get saved, and you know it. What are you waiting on? Because your phone may never ring again after today. And if the Spirit of God doesn't dial your phone, listen to your pastor, you'll go to hell. Because you don't get saved when you feel like it. You're not going to smoke the devil's cigarettes and then on your deathbed, blow the smoke in Jesus' face and get saved. You get saved when the Spirit of God calls you. And you better come, because there'll come a day when God's Spirit will no longer call. And the door on the ark will close up, and it's over. Holy Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. He brings us to the person of truth, Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is a masculine person. In chapter 16, verse 7 and 8, I want you to see the pronouns that are used by Jesus to describe the Holy Spirit. And you may wonder why this is a big deal. I'll tell you in just a moment. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send, say it, Him unto you. And when He is come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The last time I checked my Bible, it's God the Father, not God the Mother. The last time I checked my Bible, it's God the Son, not God the Daughter. God is a masculine being. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are masculine in gender. They're not feminine in gender. They're not genderless. They're not neutered. God the Father is masculine. God the Son is masculine. And God the Spirit is masculine. Now I want you to understand that because we live in a day and age in which there's a group called the New Age group. The New Age movement. It's really not new. It's just old, Satan's old lies repackaged for a new generation. And part of the teaching of the New Age movement is 
God is feminine. God is genderless. They make God to be what he's not. They make him to be a woman. They make him to be an it. And that's unbiblical. And then we have radical so-called Christians, I'll use that term loosely, who seek to neuter the Spirit of God, which I made allusion to earlier. The Spirit of God is a person, and He's a male person. And yet they try to make Him an it. They try to say He's a force, or a power, or an energy, or some type of emotion, or an experience. He's none of that. He's a person. And He's a masculine person. The Spirit of God is a masculine person. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. The the Spirit of God is God. Fourthly, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, is for Christians only. In John 14, verse 17, if you go back just a couple of chapters, Jesus says, the world cannot receive Him. Now, Jesus is not talking about the planet when He talks about the world. He's talking about people of the world who are unsaved. He said they cannot receive Him. Now, we've already said the Spirit of God does work on unsaved people. If He didn't, we wouldn't be saved. But by and large, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to the people of God. What does the Spirit of God do for us? What is He doing for us, even as we're here right now? Well, let me tell you some things He's doing, or has done, or will do. First of all, He indwells us. The moment you get saved, the very moment you say yes to Jesus, boom, the Spirit of God comes inside of you. He doesn't come by you. He doesn't come with you. He doesn't come around you. He comes in you. That's why Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Yea, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. How could he make that statement? Because the Spirit of God is in us. He moves right into the house. The house is our body, and our body is his temple. And he moves right in. He indwells us. And then He seals us. The moment you get saved, a spiritual tattoo is put on your spiritual hide. And it says, property of God's. Forever, for all eternity, property of God's. Hands off, you belong to God. Seals us. That's what that word seals means, an identification mark. So the spiritual world can see you are a son or daughter of God. Then he baptizes us, the scripture says, immediately upon our salvation. We are baptized into the universal body of Christ. The universal body of Christ. We become part of a family. You're my family. I'm your family. Is that good or bad? I don't know. But we're family. We're brothers and sisters because we have the same Father. It's what it means to be baptized into the body of Christ. So make it more than it is. It's simply 
being brought into a relationship with all believers around the world. Some of us have had opportunities to go overseas and be with other Christians. They don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They don't act like us. But you have a kindred spirit with them. Where does that kindred spirit come from? It comes from the spirit of God that's in me, that's in them. He immediately, you get along because you're family. The spirit of God gives us. The moment you get saved, the Spirit of God indwells you, seals you, baptizes you, and then gives you spiritual gifts of His own choice. You can't pray for them. He gives them of His own will. And those spiritual gifts that He gives us, all of us get at least one. Some of us get multiple gifts. But we all are given gifts. And what's the purpose of the gifts? To serve us? No, to serve each other. Those gifts are to evangelize. Those gifts are to edify. Those gifts are to encourage. Those spiritual gifts aren't for us to show off. They're not for the prophet ourselves. They're to reach people for his glory. By the way, there's no spiritual gift to sleeping. There's no spiritual gift of sitting. There's no spiritual gift of staring. Just thought I'd throw that in. Said, Pastor, who are you talking to? If your phone's ringing, you pick it up. (laughs) The gifts are given to us to use. To use to minister to others and to bring glory to God. The Spirit of God energizes us. He gives us the will and the do to do the things of God. As I said earlier, we don't wake up and say, I want to go serve God today. We don't have nothing in us to do that. It's the Spirit of God that's the energy, that's the motivation, that's the compulsion to do it. He teaches us. That's why you can't learn the Bible without the Spirit of God teaching you. That's why you can have a 30-year-old Ph.D. who's an unsaved person, and he can't understand John 3.16. Hasn't got a clue what it's talking about. But you can take a five-year-old boy from Marijuana who gave his life to Jesus, and he understands John 3.16. You know why? Because the Spirit of God is in him teaching him. The Spirit of God teaches us what's true. And also the Spirit of God warns us about what's wrong. He takes our spiritual antennas and he waggles them. He says, stay away from that person. Stay away from that place. Stay away from that thing. Because what they're doing is wrong. It's not biblical. The Spirit of God is for us. Fifthly, the Spirit of God wants to fill you and I. And He wants to flow through us. He wants to fill us, and He wants to flow through us. He wants to rain on us and fill our bucket. Then He wants to tip the bucket and let the water flow over others. That filling, by the way, has to be your choice. Just like it was your choice to want to be saved, 
It's your choice if you want to be filled. Just like you had to invite Jesus to come into your life to save you, you had to do it. You have to invite the Holy Spirit to take over your life. Now remember, He's already in there. But you've got to give Him the keys to your house and to every room in it. And when you do that, there'll be an evidence of that. And it may not be what you think or have been taught. A man or woman that is filled with God's Spirit, that has a flow out of them of God's Spirit, that's touching other people, making a difference, those people have these characteristics in their life. These characteristics are conspicuous and contagious. You can see them and you want them. What are they? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 tell us. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faith, meekness, and temperance. If you don't have those characteristics in your life, you're not filled with the Spirit of God and you're not got, you don't have anything flowing out of you to anybody else. Now the reason why I want you to remember that is because we do have some who teach that if you're filled with the Spirit of God, it's going to show in your outward manifestations. Like jumping three pews are talking in an unknown language, are rolling, hollering, or running, are falling out, up or over, or by seeing a healing or a miracle. Again, I believe people are sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. The evidence that you and I are filled with the presence of God's Holy Spirit, and that Spirit is pouring out of us and flowing out of us and touching a lost and dying world and making a difference is the fact that wherever we go, we've got love written all over us. We've got joy. We've got peace. We've got patience. We've got gentleness. We've got kindness. We've got faith. We've got meekness. We've got temperance. Nobody can deny it, but they can't explain it. Do you have that? Sixthly, the Holy Spirit works in the shadows the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is a masculine person. The Holy Spirit ministers to Christians. The Holy Spirit wants to fill us. He wants to flow through us. And sixthly, the Holy Spirit works in the shadows. John 16, 14. Notice what Jesus said. When the Spirit comes, He shall do what? Read that first line of verse 14. John 16, verse 14. He shall what? Glorify me. Who's the me? Jesus. The Spirit of God works in the shadows. The Spirit of God works in the dark. The Spirit of God works behind the scenes. The Spirit of God is invisible. The Spirit of God is a cheerleader. The Spirit of God is a promoter. The Spirit of God is a director. The Spirit of God is a planner. What is He to do? He's to make sure that Jesus, who's the star of the show, the spotlight's on Him. 
He's the leading man. His name goes on the billboard. It's Jesus Christ. If you go to a church, if you're in a worship service where the emphasis is on the Holy Spirit, you're in the wrong place. If you go to a church or you go to a worship service where the emphasis is on the preacher or some shenanigans he's doing on the platform, you're in the wrong place. The Spirit of God doesn't do anything. He promotes Jesus. He doesn't promote himself, and he certainly doesn't promote a preacher. So when you see craziness going on, when you see displays of the flesh, you're not seeing God's Spirit at all. He will not be in that environment. Jesus said, He comes to glorify me. We've got a lot of craziness taking place in churches today by ministers who claim to be spirit-filled. I'm telling you, they're filled with the flesh if they're not filled with something else. Men of God don't make a show of themselves. Enough said about that. Number seven, lastly, and we close. The Spirit of God can be grieved and quenched by our sin. Just like He can fill us and flow through us, we can grieve Him and quench Him. Paul writing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 says, Quench not the Spirit. Paul writing to the book of uh, to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. What does grieve and quench mean? The word grieve means to make the Holy Spirit sad. You remember the commercial that was out many years ago about the environment and how man was destroying the environment and they had an American Indian on the commercial? And as he watches the environment of our country being destroyed, he cried. You remember that picture? The old Indian had a tear come down his face. That, that's a picture of grieving. And the Bible says that when we have ongoing, unrepentative sin in our life, it grieves the Spirit of God. He get, it makes him sad, and he actually cries. The Spirit of God sheds tears inside of us. And then the word quench means to take a bucket of cold water and throw it on a hot fire. You may not put the fire out, but you certainly douse it and damper it down enough where all that there is is smoke and there's very little fire. Ladies and gentlemen, when we have sin in our life, ongoing, unrepentant of sin, the Spirit of God weeps inside of us. And the fire that God wants us to use to brighten and warm a dark, cold world is no more. I'd like to suggest to you there's four sins that do that more than any other. And if you have these sins in your life, I promise you the Spirit of God is grieving inside of you and you are as cold as ice on the inside and dark as a, a desert at midnight on the inside because the Spirit of God is grieving and quenching. The first is sexual sin. 
sexual sin is against the body. And remember, the body is where the Holy Spirit lives. Do you like to live in trash and filth? Would you like to live in sludge and a sewage? No. Why should you ask the Holy Spirit to live in it? And when you and I commit sexual sin, whatever the name might be, it grieves Him. It quenches Him. Hateful sin can do that too. Hateful sin is the kind of sin that says, I'm, I hate you, I hate you. You said something about me, you did something to me, and I hate you. I'm not forgiving you. And that kind of hateful sin comes straight from the headquarters of hell. And oh, how the Spirit grieves. Oh, how the Spirit is quenched by such sin. Hateful sin. Sexual sin, intoxicating sin, bringing alcohol into the temple, bringing tobacco into the temple, bringing illegal, illicit drugs into the temple. But you know what might be the worst sin of all, church? I'm not as dumb as I look. Because I know some of you are sitting out here and saying, well, I'm sexually clean. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't take drugs. I don't hate anybody. Good. I'm, I'm good. Can I give you the sin that probably is manifested in this church more than any? And that's casual sin. Treating God with casualness. What am I talking about? Coming to worship and not paying one single bit of attention to anything that is sung or said. Oh, you're sitting here looking. But your your mind is a thousand miles away and your heart is on the things of this world. And your eyes are like this. All you want to do is get out of here. You think you've done God a favor by showing up and tipping your little spiritual hat to them. Casual sin. While they're singing and preaching and worship going on, you have your cell phone out. And we see it. I don't say anything to you. That's between you and God. That's what's going on the whole service. And then you wonder why you never get one single thing out of the service. It's because your mind and heart's not in it. But instead of telling people, I'm not interested... You say, well, Keith, if Keith would do more this kind of music, I'd be pay attention. If Pastor Jim preached this way, I'd pay. No, you wouldn't. It's just like a cheap excuse. Put your cell phones up. Put your devices up. Hone in on what God is trying to say to you. Because when you treat him casually, you are headed down a road to destruction. 
And that's the problem today. We treat God so casually. He's not a big deal. What's the big deal is lunch. What's the big deal is what we're going to do this afternoon. What the big deal is is out there. It's not in here. And those kind of sins, ladies and gentlemen, you can hide them and you can get away with them. But God's Spirit cries inside of you if you're a Christian. And the Spirit of God is quenched if you are a Christian. In closing, what does all this mean? Because we've got to get out of here. It means this. If you're not saved here today, you need to give your life to Jesus right now. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Pastor, what time today? Right now. Today is the day of salvation. Right now. 11.55 is the accepted time. Because this might be the last time that God will dial your phone. And if He doesn't call you anymore, you will never get saved because you can't get saved unless He calls you. You come. Give your life to Him. If you're a Christian here today, you need to surrender to Him. He doesn't want no phony recommitment. He wants your surrender. He wants you to come on your spiritual bent knee with your head bowed and give it all to Him. If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of your iniquity. But if you will not confess your sin, if you will not deal with your sin, then you will grieve the Spirit and quench the Spirit and your life will be wasted. What is your response? I'll get saved later. No thank you today again. And I enjoy my sin more than I enjoy a surrendered life. Therefore, I'll keep sinning. God help you if that's you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.